Welcome to the online home of Providence Christian Church in Cape Coral, Florida. If you would like more information, visit us online at ProvidenceCapeCoral.com. Now may the Lord bless the preaching and the hearing of His Word. Another psalm of the sons of Korah. This morning we won't be looking at a wedding song, but a song that tells us that the God of Jacob is our fortress. So let's look together at Psalm 46. To the choir master of the sons of Korah, according to Alamot, a song. God is our refuge and strength, a very present help in trouble. Therefore, we will not fear, though the earth gives way. Though the mountains be moved into the heart of the sea, though its waters roar and foam, though the mountains tremble at its swelling. Salah. There is a river whose streams make glad the city of God, the holy habitation of the Most High. God is in the midst of her. She shall not be moved. God will help her when morning dawns. The nations rage. The kingdoms totter. He utters His voice. The earth melts. The Lord of hosts is with us. The God of Jacob is our fortress. Selah. Come, behold the works of the Lord, how He has brought desolations on the earth. He makes wars cease to the ends of the earth. He breaks the bow and shatters the spear. He burns the chariots with fire. Be still and know that I am God. I will be exalted among the nations. I will be exalted in the earth. The Lord of hosts is with us. The God of Jacob is our fortress. Selah. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Do you pray with me? Heavenly Father, we ask that your spirit be at work in our midst even now. Opening our eyes, softening our hearts, that we might behold wondrous things from your word. Things that cause us to turn from sin. Things that cause us to find refuge and shelter in you, in your Son alone. Would you be at work in our hearts, we pray this morning. Amen. You may be seated. Abo Elementary School was completed in 1962 in the bustling metropolis of Artesia, New Mexico as a first-of-its-kind, state-of-the-art public school. And what made Abo unique primarily was that its entire 33,835-square-foot interior was built underground, entirely underground. Now, some of the features of Abo that might interest parents who are intrigued by this school included steel-reinforced cast concrete walls, and a 21-inch thick concrete slab roof to withstand the effects of a thermonuclear blast. Multiple drinking water wells, food storage, bedding and supplies for over 2,000 people, and if you were concerned, an on-site morgue, two-way radio systems, Geiger counters, firefighting equipment, these all came standard, as well as a 319-horsepower diesel generator with access to a 10,000-gallon underground fuel storage tank. If we think that metal detectors and gates at the entrances of our school are a sad commentary in our times, visitors to one entrance of Abo Elementary had to walk through a radiation decontamination shower 
to get into the school. Now, on a positive note, Frank Standard, the architect of Abo Elementary, he noted that its windowless design reduced maintenance costs. Didn't have to worry about replacing windows at any point in Abo Elementary. He also noted that this helped students to concentrate on their schoolwork. There's nowhere else to look. They're underground. Now, of course, Abo Elementary was built at the height of the Cold War. Very real fears over the possibility of a nuclear exchange with the Soviet Union. But this school was not the first, and it will not be the last structure built to protect its inhabitants from external threats. People have been doing this throughout history. Cities through history were built surrounded by walls and gates to discourage roaming bands of raiders, would-be invaders. Medieval castles, of course, had ramparts and moats. Ancient fortresses discouraged foreign armies by building on difficult-to-reach, difficult-to-attack high ground. Now, in the 21st century, technology may have changed, but we still do these types of things. In our culture, we rely on things like motion-detecting lights, personal firearms, privacy fences, and even ring doorbells for our protection. We do the same types of things. They just look a little different. Some of us may not look that much different from our ancient ancestors than we think as we live behind the walls and gates of HOA communities. The more things change, the more they stay the same. Humans recognizing that there are external threats in our world. Now, to varying degrees, all these attempts at safety and refuge, they're understandable. None of them bad or sinful in themselves. We live in a fallen world. And the reality is this fallen world is often fraught with danger. It's only natural that we seek out safety and refuge for us and for our loved ones in various ways. But while Psalm 46 acknowledges this reality of the need for safety in a fallen world, this psalm goes beyond a simple acknowledgement of the dangers of our world, an approval of taking prudent measures to protect ourselves. It does something else. It challenges us. It challenges us in a number of ways in our attempts to build walls or burrow underground or fight off the very real dangers that surround us. How does this psalm challenge us? Well, practically, Psalm 46 will confront us this morning with the sobering fact that our attempts to fend off and fight off the dangers of our world are limited. There are dangerous realities in our world that no structure, no army, no weapons, no scientific advances can protect us against. That's the reality. Spiritually, Psalm 46 will challenge us this morning with the insight that seeking our ultimate safety and refuge anywhere, in anyone or in anything other than the Most High God, is foolish and ultimately sinful. And ultimately what Psalm 46 will call us to do is to exalt God alone, to flee to Him in every circumstance of life as our only true source of refuge and strength. So simply put, what does Psalm 46 teach us? The God of Jacob is our fortress and nothing else. And if that's true of us, what we'll find first is we will not fear. Second, we shall not be moved. And finally, he will be exalted. So let's look first at we will not fear from Psalm 46 verses 1 through 3. God is our refuge and strength, the very present help in trouble. 
Therefore, we will not fear, though the earth gives way, though the mountains be moved into the heart of the sea, though its waters roar and foam, though the mountains tremble at its swelling. This first verse of Psalm 46, it introduces us to imagery that's going to be picked up throughout the psalm. God's compared in verse 1 to a refuge. He's compared to strength for his people in verse 7, you'll notice, and also in verse 11. This imagery is sharpened by calling God a fortress, a mountain stronghold for his people. Now, I noted a minute ago that in the ancient world, one of the best defenses for a group of people simply take the high ground. Now, not only could they see and anticipate and plan for attacks while they're still a long way off, high ground is much, much easier to defend and much, much more difficult to conquer. Now, God, of course, is not actually a physical refuge, not actually a fortress, a mountain stronghold. But this is imagery to describe God's character, ways that God works for the good of his people. What does God do? He provides refuge for his people. He shields them from their enemies. He places them on secure, defensible, high ground. It's as if God's people dwell spiritually in a secure, impregnable stronghold. That's the imagery that's being called on here. The sons of Korah make clear in the second half of verse 1 that regardless of where God's people dwell physically, they always dwell under God's protective presence spiritually. It says God is a very present help in trouble. God's people might not see the mountain stronghold. We may not be able to press our hands against the walls of the city of God, but God is our fortress. That's the reality for God's people. And the conclusion that's drawn in verse 2b, it's natural given that statement. Therefore, we will not fear. God's people aren't exposed. They're not vulnerable to attack. They shouldn't be constantly watching their backs for unexpected danger. Yes, they are those who live in a dangerous world with numerous enemies. But God's people are also those who live under God's protection, such that they need not fear danger like those who don't have protection from God. Unless the readers of Psalm 46 think that God's protection is only good up to a certain point, or unless the readers of Psalm 46 think that the conclusion, we will not fear, is only applicable under certain circumstances, the sons of Korah give a helpful example of the type of situation in which God's people should feel safe and secure. What do they say? Though the earth gives way. Though the mountains be moved into the heart of the sea, though its waters roar and foam, though the mountains tremble at its swelling. What the sons of Korah are doing here is they're taking the language of creation of the universe from Genesis chapter 1. And they're reversing that language in order to depict the most dire possible circumstance anyone could ever face. The waters of chaos tamed by God in Genesis chapter 1 are roaring and foaming in these verses. The boundaries between land and sea that were set immovable by God in Genesis 1, they're shattered as mountains tumble into the sea. This is fundamental, global, cataclysmic chaos and decreation. And what the sons of Korah are saying is that because God is the refuge and strength of His people, 
even if the world itself falls back into chaos and creation itself is undone, even then, God's people have no reason to fear. Even then, God will be their refuge and strength, their very present help in trouble. So the question is, what limits do you apply to God as your refuge? What circumstance of life is too much, too scary, too overwhelming, that relying on God seems foolish and far-fetched and ridiculous and out of touch? What event could happen which would cause you to stop looking to God as your ultimate refuge and strength, to begin to place your hope, your security, your peace in other people, in money, in homes, in fences, in weapons, or maybe just looking to yourself? Is it a global pandemic? Is that the threshold? Is it a Category 5 hurricane? Is it ongoing marital strain? Is it an unexpected job loss? Is it a dire medical situation? Is it someone hurting you? Someone sinning against you? Someone betraying you? Psalm 46 tells us, specifically, the point at which it makes sense for us to stop trusting in God as a refuge and strength. It gives us very clear boundaries for our hope in God as the threshold for our fears. Situations where we really just need to get wise, get realistic, get practical, look ultimately to other things for safety and not to God. What does Psalm 46 tell us? There aren't any situations like that. Brothers and sisters, we need very little convincing of the manifold dangers and enemies and hardships that we face living in a fallen world on a daily basis. To a greater and lesser degree, we see and experience these things constantly. We know we live in a fallen world. We know we live in a dangerous world. We know we have enemies. Because of sin, we live in a broken world surrounded by broken people, and we ourselves are broken apart from the gracious work of God. In our lives, we don't need convincing of those dangers that surround us. But what do we need? We need constant convincing that the circumstances that we face, the various dangers and enemies and hardships of living in a fallen world, they do not nullify the truth. They do not change the fact that God is our refuge and strength in every circumstance we face. Against every danger and enemy and hardship of living in a fallen world. The sons of Korah tell us that the earth under our feet could give way. The mountains could crumble into the sea. The waters of the oceans could boil and bubble in chaos. Creation itself could come undone. And God is still our refuge and strength, a very present help in trouble. And we have no need to fear. This is, of course, not saying that God promises to shield us from every danger and hardship and trouble and enemy of this life. What this is to say is that God promises to preserve His people, to preserve us through the dangers and hardships and troubles and enemies of life, and ultimately, to give us life and safety even on the other side of death. That's what He promises so what are you walking through? What circumstance of life is causing you to look away from God for help? If 
you seek refuge in him alone, we will not fear though the earth give way under our feet. The sons of Korah highlight that there's no situation or circumstance too big, too powerful, too dangerous to overcome when God is our refuge and strength. But in the next section, they underscore the difference between the refuge we might find in God and in every other form of safety we might seek out. Let's see next that we shall not be moved. Look again at verses 4 to 7. There is a river whose streams make glad the city of God, the holy habitation of the Most High. God is in the midst of her. She shall not be moved. God will help her when morning dawns. The nations rage, the kingdoms totter. He utters His voice, the earth melts. The Lord of hosts is with us. The God of Jacob is our fortress. Now in this section, the sons of Korah move their attention from this imagery of roaring, foaming, chaotic seas to a different body of water, an imagery with quite a different intention. There is a river whose streams make glad the city of God. This body of water in Psalm 46 verse 4 isn't one of destruction and decreation, but one of sustenance and strength. Now the strength of ancient empires was often associated with the rivers that they were built along. Rivers that provided irrigation for crops, transportation for goods, life-giving water if they ever went under siege. Assyria was associated with the mighty Euphrates River. Egypt identified with the River Nile. Now the sons of Korah draw the attention of God's people to a river within their city, the city of God, which would likewise be a source of sustenance and strength. The only issue is Within the physical city of God during the time of the sons of Korah in Jerusalem, there is no river to speak of. Jerusalem wasn't built along the banks of the likes of the Euphrates or the Nile, so what are the sons of Korah referring to? Most likely, the sons of Korah are drawing on imagery of a life-giving water we first see in the Garden of Eden in Genesis 2.10. Imagery picked up by the prophet Ezekiel in Ezekiel 47. Imagery echoed in the picture of the consummated and perfected city of God in Revelation 22. Imagery of a river flowing through God's eternal city, nourishing the trees of life that line its banks, the fruit of which will bring healing and life to God's people forever. That's the imagery that's being drawn on here. But this comparison between the tangible, physical water sources of ancient superpowers like Assyria and Egypt, and an invisible future river that somehow provides hope and life for God's people, this might seem weak and foolish. They actually have physical rivers they can depend on. God's people, in this instance, do not. The sons of Korah make clear where true refuge and strength lie. Assyria and Egypt and their like may be as impressive and strong as the rivers that run through them, but these kingdoms will without fail one day come to an end. What does it say? The nations rage. The kingdoms totter. He utters his voice. The earth melts. The voice which spoke the universe into existence 
will one day speak in judgment against any empire which raises itself against the kingdom of God. No mountaintop fortress, no moat-rimmed castle, no concrete-lined bunker will protect those kingdoms from what is to come. Look no further than the sand-covered ruins of Assyria and Egypt today. Thus will go all the kingdoms of men. They may seem immovable and unassailable now, but when God speaks in His voice, the earth will melt. But this is not so for those who dwell in the city of God. God is in the midst of her. She shall not be moved. This same word that's used here for moved is the same word in the next verse that's translated totter. The kingdoms of the earth topple like a house of cards. They melt like wax exposed to a flame. But what does the kingdom of God do? It stands immovable. It's made glad by a life-giving river. It's a fortress for God's people. The blessed place where God dwells among us once again forever. What a contrast. What type of river do you look to to provide strength and security in your life? Admittedly, the seemingly immovable power of nations can be a pretty strong temptation for us as objects of hope. Impressive governments, strong economies, vast militaries, these are, without a doubt, attractive. These are the tangible, physical markers of world superpowers that offer us stability and peace and sustenance. And based on the amount of time that we occupy our thinking, our media consumption, our anxieties around these things, this is often where we place our hope. We think if we could just get the right people in positions of power, if we could just get our economy going, if our military is just stronger than the next guy's, That's what will provide safety for us. That is our refuge and strength. But Psalm 46 calls us instead to look for strength and security in something invisible. Something seemingly weak and foolish. For those of us who've repented of our sins and placed our faith in Jesus... Psalm 46 calls us to the future hope God's people have of dwelling in His presence in the city of God, nourished and given life from the fruit of the tree of life on the banks of a mighty river flowing from under His incomparable throne forever. That is our hope. That is our strength. That is our refuge. Psalm 46 also reminds us along with the witness of the rest of Scripture, that God's people are mysteriously, even now, residents of that holy habitation of the Most High God. We may dwell in Lee County, Florida, in the United States of America, with all the documentation to prove those things are true. But Scripture tells us we are exiles. We are sojourners. We are foreigners here. Even now we drink of the waters of the river of life that we look forward to seeing one day. Even now we experience God's presence in our midst through the indwelling of His Holy Spirit. Even now we are citizens of the city of God. Reality is only made possible by the work of Jesus on our behalf and received by faith. 
What does John 7 tell us? Jesus stood up and cried out, If anyone thirsts, let him come to me and drink. Whoever believes in me, as the Scriptures has said, out of his heart will flow rivers of living water. Now this he said about the Spirit, whom those who believed in him were to receive. Even now, this is not our home. Our hope is not found here in governments, in economies, in militaries. Even now, we partake by God's grace of that river of life from the city of God. Let me say this as plainly as I can. If you're here this morning and have placed your faith in Jesus, your strength and security is not in impressive governments, strong economies, and vast militaries. Your hope is to dwell secure in the currently unseen city of God, nourished by the river of life, in God's presence forever. And through Jesus, you have a foretaste of this hope now in the life given you through Jesus, sealed by the indwelling presence of His Spirit. That is your hope, brothers and sisters. Conversely, if you're here this morning and you've not placed your faith in Jesus... Your only hope currently for strength and refuge is in governments, in economies, in militaries. I have to warn you that these are governments and economies and militaries which will inevitably, like the Assyrians and Egyptians before them, tumble like a house of cards and melt like wax exposed to the flame. That is where the kingdoms of men are headed. In our third and final section this morning, we'll see this outcome for the nations made even more explicit in the last few verses. But we'll also see a call to repent, a call to turn, a call to change for those while there's still yet time. Let's see, finally, He will be exalted in verses 8 to 11. Come, behold the works of the Lord, how He's brought desolations on the earth. He makes wars cease to the end of the earth. He breaks the bow and shatters the spear. He burns the chariots with fire. Be still and know that I am God. I will be exalted among the nations. I will be exalted in the earth. The Lord of hosts is with us. The God of Jacob is our fortress. Now this section begins with the first proper command, the first call for a direct response It's taken place in Psalm 46, and it's a command directed at God's people, the recipients of this psalm. Come, behold the works of the Lord. Now, typically, when God's people are called to come and ponder the works of the Lord, we're being called to witness a great act of redemption, an act of salvation on the part of God, a a stunning work of salvation that God's wrought on behalf of His people. A lot of times in the Old Testament, this refers to uh, the exodus from Egypt, That's not what we find in this final section of Psalm 46. What works of the Lord are God's people called to behold? Look at verse 8. How He has brought desolations on the earth. Verse 9 then makes clear that not only is God going to win some sort of stunning victory over His enemies, over the nations that certainly seemed immovable and irreplaceable and unassailable at the time that this psalm was written, God's going to put an end to warfare itself. 
permanently. Verses 8 to 10 describe literally the victory to end all victories. Wars will cease, weapons will be broken beyond repair, military vehicles burned with fire. Now, God's eventual victory over historical kingdoms like Assyria and Egypt, those are historical facts. They no longer exist in the same way that they used to. That would have been unthinkable for God's people in the time that this psalm was written. But they no longer exist. Verses 8 to 10 are pointing to a different victory. A final victory over the kingdoms of men, which is yet to come. But what are God's people called to do? Come, behold the works of the Lord. These are present tense commands. Come, behold the works of the Lord, as if this victory to end all victories has already happened. These things will happen certainly. And part of the security that God's people are offered from Psalm 46 is this peek into the future that is certain to happen. A future when it will no longer be necessary for God to be a fortress to His people in the same way. Why? Because there will no longer be dangers and hardships and enemies as there are in this fallen world. God's victory will be final. No more wars, no more weapons, no more military might needed. This peek into the future is a source of immense comfort and confidence for God's people. For those who are citizens of the city of God, for those who find refuge and strength in the Lord, this victory is as good as happened. But this peek into the future should also be terrifying for those who don't. For those who haven't repented of their sins. For those who haven't placed their faith in Jesus. For those who place their trust in their own strength. In things like wars and weapons and military might. For those who trust in the kingdoms of men, whether that be a specific nation, a group of people, or even just trusting in themselves. Why is this peak into the future terrifying? Because verses 8 to 10 make clear that while the citizens of the city of God find refuge and strength in Him, those who rage against God will be broken and burned just like those things that they trust in. Now there's a sudden shift in verse 10 from the sons of Korah speaking in the third person to God Himself speaking in the first person. He speaks words that are probably familiar to many of us. Be still and know that I am God. I will be exalted among the nations. I will be exalted in the earth. And while many of us have applied these words to our own Christian lives, most commentators agree that these verses are actually a direct address from God to the nations and peoples that are raging against His proper rule over all things. His words here are a command to those setting themselves over against Him, a command that sounds similar to Jesus' rebuke of the wind and the seas in Mark 4.29. Peace, be still. Just as in that passage, Jesus, who had created the wind and the seas, He was calling them, He was commanding them to obey His voice. Here in Psalm 46, God's calling the nations. He's commanding the people whom He has created to obey this command, to exalt Him. 
But this is a terrifying peek into the future for those who rage against God. For those who ally themselves to the kingdoms of the earth that will inevitably be destroyed when God utters His voice in judgment. For those who trust in their own strength. And maybe that describes you this morning as you sit here. I want to warn you. Make no mistake. God will make wars to cease. God will break bows and shatter spears. God will burn chariots with fire. God will be exalted in the nations. His name will be exalted in all the earth. It's happening. There's no question about that. But this peek into the future, this call, this command to be still and know that I'm God, it's not simply to terrify. This is also an act of God's grace. He's calling you to exalt Him in your own heart and in your own life while there's yet time. He's also giving you a peek into the future. What will certainly happen? And He's warning you to avoid the desolations to come when He utters His voice in judgment. He's commanding you to be still and know that He's God. He's calling you to stop your raging, to find your gladness instead in the river of life that you have access to through the work of His Son, Jesus. Because if you do, you'll find that instead of being swept up in God's judgment of the nations, God will be a refuge and a strength for you, a very present help in times of trouble you'll find that though the earth itself gives way, though the mountains be moved into the heart of the sea, that if you turn to Him in faith, the God of Jacob will be your fortress. Let's pray. Thank you for tuning in for today's message. If you would like more information about Providence Christian Church in Cape Coral, Florida, visit us online at ProvidenceCapeCoral.com.